walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Verse 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them. As God told him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and most of all, your Holy Spirit to communicate your living word to us. Feed us, nourish us. And speak to us again of the journey of faith and Abraham and Sarah. Amen. Abraham is now 99 years old. He was first called by God when he was 75 years old. So, what is that? 24 years have passed? It's a long time to wait. For promise. But Abram is on God's time. He is on God's time and he's having to wait. He's having to wait by faith. That's the way the life of faith is. It's often a life of waiting, waiting for God to act. Sometimes we pray for something and we wait. When will God 
do it? Will God do it? We wait. Many times it seems as though God has forgotten. But part of the journey of faith is living on God's time. And it is time that cannot be rushed. It can't be forced. It can't be hurried. That's part of the journey of faith. God appears to Abram yet again. And he restates this covenant that he's made with him. And there's several things to note about this latest encounter of God with Abram. First thing is that God appears to Abram and identifies himself as El Shaddai, uh, God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew name, which literally means the mighty God. He is revealing himself by this name to Abram. He's never done this before. And he is showing himself in yet a more intimate way to Abram. As the Abram event goes on, God keeps giving new names and new pictures of himself. And Abram learns more and more what this God is like and who he is. He he identifies himself as God Almighty. The second thing in this covenant is El Shaddai tells Abram to walk before him and to live blamelessly. Now that is not a call to moral perfection. But it is a call to be pure and devoted to who God wants him to be. God is going to ask something of Abram. He can't just live any old way he wants to. He wants his obedience. He wants him to be loyal. El Shaddai recites and expands the covenant once again with Abram. And in doing so, now he changes Abram's name. Abram, which meant exalted father, gets changed to Abraham father of many nations because that is what God will do for Abraham he's going to make him the father of many many nations God also changes Sarai's name to Sarah because part of the promise is that indeed Abraham is going to be the father of many nations through her she is a part of this plan as Abraham's wife the covenant is a royal covenant not only will nations come from Abram but kings will come from him The covenant is an everlasting covenant. It's an eternal covenant that will never end. Uh, It will be between God and Abraham, but also, he says, this is going to be a covenant for your descendants forever. Paul writes in the New Testament that all those who live by faith are descendants of Abram. The covenant is relational. El Shaddai says to Abraham, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people but I will be your God. He belongs to us. We belong to him. Uh, in this, it's a unique relationship. He doesn't say to other people, I'm going to belong to you. He says, you're going to belong to me. And then finally, the covenant uh, will include land, specifically the land of Canaan. But God gives Abraham a sign for this covenant. And the sign that God gives to Abraham is the sign of circumcision. This is the sign that he will belong to God. It's the sign kind of of being an insider, if you will. Now, circumcision was not new. It did not originate here, and it did not originate with the Jews. There are other cultures at this time that have always practiced this. But God gives the sign, and this is what is unique here. He gives it as a sign of faith, as part of the promise of faith. 
with circumcision, God tells Abraham there's something that he has to do. You know, biblical faith is never something that just takes place in the mind. There's something that is to be acted upon with biblical faith. There is always a step to take. And God Almighty tells Abraham circumcision is what he has to do as a way of saying, I'm in. I am committed to this God. You know, aren't there other ways of doing this? I mean, why the covenant? Why the sign of circumcision? Why? Couldn't God have just said, well, you know, just um, pierce your ear and put a sign there, and that will always be a sign that you belong to me and I belong to you. Or uh, many cultures uh, have, have used body markings, tattoo-like markings to symbolize different things. They still do that today. Couldn't God have said, put this mark on your body and wear it, and everybody will see it, and you'll belong to me and I'll belong to you. That'll be the sign. Why the sign of circumcision? Well, think about this. In circumcision, the flesh is cut. It is put away, specifically the flesh of the male reproductive organ, which is the way that Abraham is going to get a son. In a way, this has got to be submitted to God. Part of this covenant for Abraham is that he submits to God. Consider that circumcision touches the identity It's that part of the body that makes the male the male. And it is as if God is saying, the essence of who you are, Abraham, is going to belong to me. Consider that circumcision cuts. You feel it, particularly if you're a grown man. And it is as if God is saying to Abraham, I want you to feel this covenant and this relationship. I want you to feel the cost of what it is to follow me. Consider that circumcision is intimate. And it is as if to say this relationship is going to be an intimate, close relationship that you have with me, Abraham, and all your descendants that follow in faith. Now to the Jews, a man who was uncircumcised was not Jewish. You could have full-blooded Jewish parents But if you were not circumcised, you were still not considered a Jew. Circumcision was the thing that made you a Jew. Uh, Jewish rabbinical teaching was that unless you wore the sign of Abraham, you could not come and eat Passover. If you were a Jew, you automatically received the blessings of God. And if you were a Jew, circumcised Jew, there was no way you could be sent to eternal punishment. There was no way that could happen to you. In fact, some Jewish rabbis taught that if somebody was just so bad, just so unredeeming that God had to send them to eternal punishment, that there was an angel who came around to uncircumcise that person so he could be sent into eternal punishment. That's how much it meant. Jews believed circumcision was an automatic with God, but God intended circumcision to be more than just a matter of the body, matter more than just an outward sign. Moses would later tell Israel that their rebellious hearts was offending their God and that they really didn't belong to the Lord. And he says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and stop being a stiff-necked people. Circumcision hadn't 
sunk down into their hearts. Twice, Jeremiah in his prophecies tells Israel, circumcise your hearts, not just your flesh, but circumcise your hearts. The people had gone through the physical act, but they hadn't been affected spiritually. It didn't touch their lives. In Ezekiel, uh, the prophet says, uh, the Lord says through the prophet, no one who is uncircumcised can enter my sanctuary. Circumcision was a sign of a serious, committed faith. Many Jews confused faith with the sign of faith. I said they confused faith with the sign of faith. And this is what Paul Paul argues in Romans. When he says circumcision is so much more than a physical act. He says a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he says the real Jew is a person who is inwardly a Jew. That is to say they have a real circumcision that is a matter of the heart, that is spiritual, not literal. It's a matter of a heart. And the sign of faith was always meant to be a matter of the heart. It was for Abram even. When did Abraham, when was he considered right with God? Remember last week we read Genesis 15. It says there that Abraham believed and he was considered right with God. It wasn't, well, he he had the sign of circumcision and then he started to have faith. Abraham first had a faith and a belief in this God. Later, God gave the sign of circumcision to him. Years later, he gave the sign of circumcision to him. It was only then that this happened. It was a sign of a faith that Abraham already had, had been born, and was maturing. And perhaps the reason that God didn't give the sign to Abraham until much later was first to make sure that Abraham's faith was clear and so that the covenant wouldn't be based on works. It wouldn't be based on something he did. It would be based on believing. First he believed. Later, God gave the sign. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote most of our New Testament. He was as devout a Jew as there was. A learned Jew. A Pharisee himself. Someone who knew the teachings and the covenants and the promise. And he said circumcision is is good if you observe the law. But he says if you don't observe the law... If you don't keep all those rules, it is as though you have been uncircumcised. And he goes on to say, you know, no no one really keeps the law. And that is why we need Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who has fulfilled the law for all of us. It is faith in him that makes us right with God. Jesus came to cut, to cut a new relationship, a new covenant, with God. A covenant still in line with the covenant of Abraham and still requiring faith in what God does for us. Baptism is now the sign of our entering that new covenant. Baptism corresponds to circumcision. The scripture says this, in Christ you were also circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Well, how does that happen? Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. 
Baptism corresponds to circumcision, and it's one of the ways we signify our entering that new relationship, that new covenant with God through Christ. It is a sign of our faith. It is a sign of our commitment to Christ. In some ways, we might think of it as the new circumcision. And good news for women, you can get, on, get in on this too. This is not a gender-specific sign like circumcision was. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons God also gave us this. Why does a covenant, though, need a sign? Why does any covenant need a sign? Well, apparently, God is into visible things, things that can be seen. Um, Maybe we need reminders. We wear wedding rings uh, to show and to remind us the sign of the covenant of marriage that we uh, are in. And we might, you know, one of the things about circumcision is it showed clearly who belongs to God and who does not belong to God, who was in and who was out. And we may not like this, but the truth is God is exclusive. God is exclusive. Not everyone is acceptable to him. Anyone can be acceptable to him. Now hear me. Anyone can be, but not on our terms, not on the terms we make up. It is on the terms that he says, this is how you're acceptable to me, on God's terms. And he determines who belongs to him and who does not. But he doesn't make it a mystery. There's no guesswork in figuring out, well, do we belong to him or not? He told Abraham and he told Israel, this is how you belong to me. And he has spoken to us through his son Jesus and said, this is what it means to be acceptable to me. He's told us about the problem of our sin, about the need for our forgiveness, about how he has seen to take care of that need through the cross of his son Jesus. He's told us about baptism. That's why it's called good news. That's why we call it the gospel, because we can know how can I be right with God. He's told us. It's good news. Do you know that for most of church history, and still today in many churches, unless you are baptized, you are not allowed to come to communion, to come to the Lord's table and to share in that. Just as with circumcision, baptism is a way of saying, I'm in. I commit. I'm not on the fringes. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of these people, and I'm committed to Christ. As a matter of fact, in the earliest centuries, in the earliest worship services of the church, they would worship, and then there would come a time when they would stop. And those who were not baptized were excused and asked to leave. And only the baptized joined in the Lord's table. Now, we don't have any Lord's Supper or baptism police around here. We're not interested in that. But if you're not baptized, and you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you're not baptized, why? What is it about following the example of Jesus and doing what he commanded every disciple of him to do, what Jesus commanded? What is it that you don't want to do? Is it a matter of faith? If you are baptized, if you are baptized, what does it mean to you? Just as circumcision became an empty sign to the Jewish people, baptism can become an empty thing for followers of Christ, for disciples of Christ. Has your flesh been cut away? 
meaning as the old self died and a new person has risen and that new person has been born and that new person is being formed and growing. Has your identity been affected? Have you felt this relationship? Have you been cut? You know, it's interesting. After Peter preached at Pentecost, it says that the people who heard him were cut to the heart. And they said, how do we respond? What do we got to do? Are you becoming intimate with God? Knowing him more and more. Cut to the heart. Sorrow for your sin. Hungry to be the person God wants you to be. Does your heart belong to him? What circumcision is to baptism, Passover is to communion. Just as Passover was the meal of the Jews to remind them of the relationship that they had, so communion is the reminder of the relationship we have with Jesus, the covenant we are in with him. And when Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples, he took a cup and he said, my blood that's going to be shed on the cross is in this cup. And he says, this symbolizes the new covenant that you're in with me. It comes by the forgiveness of sins. And he gave it to his disciples to, to taste it, to drink it, a sign that you could experience, that you could lay your hands on. Christians have wondered. We've scratched our heads. Every, ever since Jesus said, well, this is my body and this is my blood. Well, what does he mean by that? What does that actually mean? And Christians in the Reformed tradition, of which Presbyterians are part of that family, have come to believe that that happens. It becomes the body of Christ and the blood of Christ by faith. That in some way we cannot understand, in some mysterious way, when we bring our faith, the Holy Spirit comes and makes this for us, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the table for all those who belong to God through Christ. It is a table of our commitment. It is a table of, of journeying in faith. And whether your faith is just a little bit or whether your faith is big, whether your faith is really weak right now or whether your faith is strong, you're invited by the Lord Jesus Christ to come. The Lord Jesus Christ who, by the way, said, before Abraham was, I am. He invites you to come, to declare your commitment to him, commitment to live by faith. It's not an explanation. It's a passion. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table.